What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Car Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm your host, Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bowling. And I'm Kurt Guerin. Hey, guess what, guys? We went out finally. We finally got out in the field, and we're able to do some interviews, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, we'd done that in the past, Ben, many, many years ago, right? We went out to a couple of car shows and things like that, right? Yeah, Caffeine and Octane. Uh, we also went to, uh, we, we've seen some exhibits mm-hmm. of uh, some, some pretty impressive cars. Now, when you say you went to the field, you and Kurt went to the field because I was off doing something sketchy. I yeah, think, right? you were, I think you were out on a vacation or some kind. No, actually, not a vacation. It's probably a work trip, right? You were, uh, I think you were on the West Coast. That might have been when you were at the Peterson Museum. Oh, yeah. You know what? I bet you're right. So I think you were like out covering that. Mm-hmm. We were covering this. It kind of worked out well that, you know, we were able to do two things at one time. But Kurt and I traveled about, uh, I guess it's about, what, 45, maybe an hour south of where we're located right now in this in the studio. Mm-hmm. And we went to Atlanta Motor Speedway. And there's an unusual situation. And I'll call it a situation. It's not really a situation, but there's an unusual thing happening at Atlanta Motor Speedway that's not happening at many other NASCAR tracks on the circuit right now. And that's what we wanted to talk to them about, right? That's right, Scott. So uh, we went to Atlanta Motor Speedway and spoke with Ed Clark, who's the president there. And we also talked to Brandon Hutchison. He's the executive vice president and general manager of Atlanta Motor Speedway Mm -hmm. to get some information about their racing surface. It's very old and they have very consciously made the decision not to pave it. If I'm not mistaken, Atlanta Motor Speedway is either the oldest or the second oldest, I'm not sure, track surface on the entire NASCAR circuit right now. And that's kind of a big deal because we're talking about a surface right now that is about 23 years old. Wow. Now, now put that into perspective. Think about how often, you know, the, uh, the, the local roads are paved, you know, around your area. We're talking about a NASCAR racing surface that they have left in place for over two decades now, and they've talked many times, and I'll say threatened, but it's not really threatened. They've they've talked about repaving this many, many times. In fact, the president, Ed Clark, and even Brandon have talked about many times paving this surface. But what happens every time is they go to the the drivers, and the drivers say, "Eh, maybe not so fast. Maybe you should hold off on that because we like coming here. Yeah, yeah. 
it's a big endeavor too. make no bones about it, right? The punishing environment of Atlanta is not kind to asphalt. No, I mean, it's nothing like, you know, in the north where there's like the freeze-thaw cycle or whatever, right. but Atlanta's got the heat. It's got mm-hmm. a ton of heat and there's a lot of rain. And apparently, from what we garnered from the, the interview that we'll, uh, we'll get to later, we're going to have a lengthy interview in its entirety in just a moment. I think that, that rain is one of the major factors in the deterioration of a track surface. And a lot of times, you know, water will well up from underneath the track and, and kind of degrade or, or ruin the track that way. You know, there's like a, like a uh, I guess I could say like it percolates through the, uh, through the cracks in the track. And uh, when we were at the track, Kurt, and we'll talk about this in just a moment because I want to talk about when we, the day we went there and what happened there because mm-hmm. it was pretty fascinating. It was fun. But when we, we actually got to ride on the track and there were a lot of patches and a lot of it's, – it's not like it's a perfect surface yeah. in no way. In fact, it's the opposite. It's, it's a really patched together, difficult surface. Yeah. One of the most interesting things that I found was how – rough it looks versus how smooth the actual track is as far as dips and bumps. Yeah. There aren't many of those. Oh, yeah. uh, it's relatively there. smooth rolling over it. It's just, I suppose it's just abrasive due to the wear of the asphalt over the years. All right, so you're talking about like when, okay, here's here's what happened. I, we should just lead into this Let's now. Let's launch into it. I really do feel like we should because when we got there, we were, you know, they're on a non-race day, of course. You know, it was, a, it was an off day for them. And, of course, there's a lot of, you know, operations going on in the office, and there's a lot happening there. But we had somebody that helped us out on track and was able to drive us around a couple of laps and just kind of give us a feel for the way the track felt. And we were in, what was it, a Chevy Blazer, maybe? Yeah, so a, a, one of, a late model SUV. Yeah, it was a brand new, like, bright red. It looked like a, you know, a fire engine red SUV. It was pretty cool. But, you know, it has a streetcar suspension. So I was thinking like, okay, this is a little bit soft anyway. We'll not be able to feel a whole lot, but it was surprisingly smooth when we got on the track. I mean, it took a long time to get onto the track itself, you know, under the tunnel and through the, you know, the maze of turns and twists that you had to go through to get onto the track. A road course? They have a road course there on the infield? Yeah, we were partially on the road course, I guess, right at that point. Mm -hmm. But to be able to to get on the track and then to be able to go a couple of laps on the track at maybe... I think we were going about 70 or 80 miles an hour. It wasn't like top speed or anything, but we were able to kind of feel the track surface. And looking at it, it looked like it was going to be a lot rougher than it was. It, it mm-hmm. looked like, again, I keep saying this word, but it was like a patchwork of tar and uh, asphalt patches. And it was just, a, it looks like a mess. It really does. Yeah. But when you drive on it, it's relatively smooth. Now, I know that that's not a race car that has... Almost no suspension, you know, the body flex is about all it's got, you know, that's it. So I know it's a lot rougher when you're in a race car, but we could barely feel anything when you're going around that track. And the only time that I felt anything, and I thought this was really telling, or not telling, but interesting rather, is when we got to the uh, the start-finish line. And we crossed, remember, we crossed the um, uh, the logo that was painted on the, the track surface. Oh, yeah. At the Atlanta Motor Speedway logo. And the weird thing about this is that the logo... Has, it's probably the original logo. The track was built in, what, 1960. I think it was opened in 1960, mm-hmm. built in 1958. I would believe, and it, maybe this is not true, but it, it seems like they've just been adding and adding and adding to that paint since about 1960 because that paint, <laughs> that, was the, that was the roughest part of our whole trip, Ben. Yeah. We, we were driving around, and like every time we crossed the start-finish line, Ba-boom. yeah, it was like it was really rough, and it was just that giant logo that they painted on the, the track surface. The uh-huh. rest of it, was was like 
not glass smooth, but it was smooth, way smoother than you think. And so we get out of the truck, we get out of the um, the SUV, allow us to kind of like, you know, we're, we're going to there, we're there to talk about the track surface. So we get out and Kurt and I are both kind of like kneeling down and like rubbing our hands on the pavement. And I don't know what we're doing. You know, we're just <laughs> kind of being goofy, right? We're, but we're feeling it's a little bit rough. It's a little bit, you know, it's not as smooth as I thought it would be. But I went to the paint because I knew that felt weird. And I looked at it and I realized like over the years, the layer after layer after layer that had been built up of that paint had created kind of these ridges. And it was like, it was definitely a raised logo. And that's for sure the roughest part of that whole track. I mean, besides what you would see, you know, all the way around, it looks like the whole thing is kind of, a, again, kind of a mess. But the the paint is definitely the worst part. Well, you know how it is when when you think about fixing something like that. Why would you fix that paint if you know you're already going to fix the track? As a matter of fact, in 2019, uh, Motor Speedway started to apply some some fixes to the cracks in the pavement. Yeah. They they use this stuff called Tixoflate. Ah, Tixofate. yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Um, that's going to be brought up a little bit later in the interview. Yeah. When, uh, yeah, yeah. It, so what's it called? It's called Tixo... Tixofault. Tixofault. And, and I think Brandon Hutchinson will mention this in the interview later about this type of product and what it does. And I've, I've watched a, a couple of videos about Tixofault. It's so strange. Like they, they put it on a piece of... It looks like a piece of tile, right? And when they put the Tixofault down, it repels the water. It pushes it away. You can see it yeah. physically moving the water away, which is kind of cool. Like there's tiny hands just <laughs> yeah, exactly. sweeping yeah. it away. That's it. It's, it's pushing it away. It's like a little squeegee or something that's, <laughs> that's moving it away. And and Brandon will talk about the Tixofault and, and what that's all about. But, you know, another thing that he mentions, and again, this will come up during the interview, but... There's very few people that actually are involved in the preservation of this whole thing, right? And it's not just the track surface. It's the whole facility, which is enormous. It's 850 square acres. And it's just 12 people that are maintaining the track and all of this property. And it's incredible that they're able to do this because, like, the surface itself is is really, really not not pristine, but... Pretty darn close. I mean, they're really, really good at what they do. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and uh, Brandon and uh, and Ed were both very, very complimentary about the whole team and what they do to keep, you know, keep on top of this whole thing. And, uh, you know, as far as, like, the feedback from the drivers, a lot of drivers are really happy with the surface as well, right? Oh, they love it. Yeah, they don't yeah. want it to be repaved. No, no. Some of them are, uh, you know, like, kind of excited by the... By the challenge of it, I guess. Driver Clint Boyer said that it's one of the reasons Atlanta Motor Speedway is one of his favorite racetracks. We have a quote from him. The worn out surface is the best. I hate repaves. I get excited when we go there. The speed, how the tires fall off, how you're able to run all over the racetrack, make it great. And then another uh, another driver, Ryan Blaney, says it's definitely a handful. It definitely makes you work hard and search around constantly, which is a lot of fun. It's an incredible facility. It really is. And and Kurt, when you and I went there, there was so much more to it than I thought there was. Now, we'll get to the interview in just a few minutes, I, I promise you. We're going to talk to Ed and, and Brandon and hear what they have to say. But I guess I did not expect this. I didn't read up on it ahead of time. I should have. I should have, like, really studied about what it was about. But I didn't understand that there are actually condos on the property. You can buy a condo that faces the track itself so that when, you know, if you, if you own one of these properties, there are 46 condos that I think have been around since about 1994. And if you own one of these 46 condos, you have 
essentially track front property. You're able to watch a race anytime that it happens, but you got to live there all year. Probably somebody has decided that during race weekends, I'm going to show up to this condo and, and live there. You know, yeah. bring my friends and, and, you know, we'll have the, essentially the box seats. Maybe you've retired, you know, yeah. and, and you want to go during specific races, but I don't, I don't know if there's someone who lives there, you know, as uh, like that's their main domicile. Well, possibly, maybe. I mean, maybe maybe it was a cool thing to do, and maybe it still is. I, I mean, it I, is a cool thing. I, to I do. think it is, but you know, you got to drive into this facility. Uh, first of all, it's in uh, it's in kind of a rural area. It's Hampton, Georgia, so you can look up Hampton, Georgia, and see where that is. And that's one thing, I guess. It's kind of out of the way. It's again about an hour south of Atlanta. Then you got to drive into this 850 acre facility. Then you got to park on the, you know, the facility property and imagine what that's like if there's an event going on. That's another thing. But when we got there, Kurt, like, it's not what I expected. It wasn't like a tower of condos that are off to the side. This is something that's built up behind the main grandstands. So, like, you know, the front of the property, I guess the front of the condos look out over the track. You're actually on the track with your windows and your, your box seats or whatever. The back of it is facing the parking lot of the whole thing. But all around you are the grandstands. It's it's really a kind of a unique build, and if you haven't seen this, maybe it's it's worthwhile to Google it and and check out what's going on because it's not what you would think. It's not built the way you would think it would be. It's very much integrated with the facility itself, and the track itself is really building up. They're trying to do a lot for the fans this year as well, and yeah. that's that's another thing. And you've gone to a few races at this track. Yeah, you've you've been there. Uh, I've never been there for a race. I'll, I'll be honest with you, but um, I plan to go. Very soon. I think it's a really cool facility now that I've seen it. But you've been there many, many times. And, you know, one really cool thing about this track is that you can see the entire track. It's a big surface. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's 1.54 miles all mm-hmm. the way around. Mm-hmm. So let's say a mile and a half around. Uh, but you can see the entire track from wherever you are. Yeah. That, which is unique. It has one of the best viewing experiences of any oval that I've been to. Agreed. Even like a shorter track. It's just that the infield is kind of down lower than the back stretch. So mm-hmm. when you're sitting anywhere basically on the front stretch, you can see the whole back stretch. Yeah. So it much. seems like all seats are good seats because I've been yeah. to, I've been to places, you know, in the past that are that are so big that, you know, when the cars exit turn one, you don't know what's happening until they come around turn four again. You can camp on the the property. In fact, they've yep. opened their they've opened their uh, facility. Now we said it's eight hundred and fifty acres. There have been many times in the past since about uh, I think I read the number, and I'm gonna hopefully hopefully this is right. Somewhere around two thousand four, there was a hurricane, and they decided that you know anybody evacuating from Florida could pull off I seventy five and park in their parking lot. They have a huge camping uh, facility area that they can you can park your RV or you know even put up a tent or whatever. There wasn't just the one in 2004. There were many. There have been like, you know, four or five along the way. And I can't, yeah, I wish I could rattle them off right now, the, the names of them. But many of the hurricanes saw several hundred thousand people, you know, several hundred thousand, if not, you know, a million people coming out of Florida up into Georgia to try to find some place to, you know, just escape the weather. And they're able to take, you know, I'm going to ballpark this, but, you know, 70,000, whatever, able to park them and let them stay there instead of having to make the trip all the way into northern Georgia which I think is pretty nice. Gosh, what else? There's there's so many things about this. They completely reconfigured it. You said that you, in the early days, had gone to it when it was a different configuration, right? Yeah, it used to be, I think, right at a mile and a half mm-hmm. oval. Yeah. Traditional oval. Interesting layout of the track, actually. The turns are very long. I think each turn's about a, 
a half a mile. Mm-hmm. And then the straightaway, the flat parts are a quarter mile. Yeah. So, it, was a, it was a different shape, though, all, all yeah. together, right? Yeah. So yeah. what have they gone from and to? Well, it used to be just an oval with uh, two sweeping turns, so four t- four NASCAR turns. Yeah. And now they have a, I think it's called a quad oval, uh-huh. where the front stretch kind of has two little elbows in it. Can I can I take just a, a moment to mention something off to the side here? All right, so I, I was intrigued by this because I saw the measurement of the facility. Mm-hmm. It's 1.54 miles, and I was thinking, okay, well, how do they measure 1.54 miles versus just a mile and a half? Yeah. I think it would be a mile and a half, leave it at that. Everybody drives us, you know, it's a, that's how we measure our, our races or whatever. It turns out, and I, I hadn't really, I don't know why I hadn't thought of this, but when, you know, they're racing in, let's say there's an, a race coming up that's a 500-mile race, not all the drivers are really racing a true 500 miles because some of them the are lines. taking, yeah, because the racing lines are yeah. a little different. So you're never racing exactly 500 miles. And I was thinking, how do they ever get the exact calculation of how far a track is around, like a two and a half mile or, you know, 2.66 for Talladega or whatever it is. It's a huge track. How do they get that measurement and where do they measure it from? Well, I found out that the, the appropriate way to measure a track, a racetrack, is 15 feet in from the outside wall. So they always go in 15 feet and it's kind of an average. So like, let's say that, you know, you, you bring the, uh, you know, the, the roller wheel or whatever it is, you know, you measure 15 feet in from the outside wall all the way around start to finish and you get a mile and a half, exactly a mile and a half. So all these races that are, you know, the, uh, I'll make them up, like the firecracker 400 or whatever it is, you're not really going 400 miles. You might be going a little bit more. You might be going a little bit less. It's just the way it works out. It's kind of cool. I thought I'd never heard of how they had measured a a racetrack other than that, other than, you know, just, I don't know, loose science, I guess. But there's really something to it. How do they measure a road course? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that gets yeah. tricky. You know what? That's really tricky. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, yeah. I'll have that's to look super it up, that's, I've wondered that to myself. You yeah, know, so 15, where do they choose to Well, it's 15 run feet the in from the outside wall. Mm-hmm. If anybody ever asks you how they measure now it, I know. now you know. Now, now everybody now, knows. Now yeah. everybody knows. Even yeah. Four or five other people that are listening to this know. So one thing I want to point out, um, this is kind of dumb, but I don't think we ever got a chance to talk about it on <laughs> air. A uh, few years back, one of the other people in our production family here, a guy named Ramsey Yunt and I, uh, went to Atlanta Motor Speedway to meet Burt Reynolds. Oh, let me tell you, this is not dumb. This is cool. This is a, this yeah. was weird. No, this is really cool. I'm just mentioning yeah. it because I never had the chance to tell. It was <laughs> it was one of the first times I had gone back in a number of years. Yeah, and like like we're talking about, they had done a lot of work. You know. Um, I think it was it was in the late 90s when they went from oval to quad oval and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so so we went to check it out and they were doing uh they were doing all these stunts from like from Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, this is now this is the 40th anniversary of the movie, right? Yeah. So this is back in 2017. This is when he went and the man himself, Burt Reynolds, was there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's uh, still alive. He's not, he's not with us anymore. Right. His Burt best. Reynolds was still there, mm-hmm. and he was there doing interviews. I don't know if you were able to get near. I think he got kind of near him, but didn't yeah. get an interview. No, we didn't right? get a full interview, but yeah. we kind of we talked to him, and then he he did the you guys know the finger gun thing. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he pulled one of those moves and made our day. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he and he stayed and did you know photo ops and. And autographs now, uh, for can, everybody. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. All right, so there were stunts, right? Yes. There was a stunt where 
the bandit car actually, there's a lot of like police chases and that kind of thing. Sure. I think there was like a, I don't know why, there was like a drifting car that was doing some a bunch yeah. of stuff too. I, I'm not sure what that had to do with it, but they had some cars that looked like, like Buford T. Justice's car. And they were doing some jumps and some, you know, slides and crashes yeah. and things. Yeah, yeah. They jumped a Trans Am. That's right. They did. Burt Reynolds did not do that jump. No, he did not. He was not behind the wheel for okay. that one. They <laughs> actually had good. the guy who, who uh, they had a fairly famous car stunt creator and expert who was handling these things. But Ramsey and I were, it's weird. It started out real formal, mm-hmm. but by the time we were actually watching the stunts and the crowd was there and everything, uh, Ramsey and I had somehow talked our way into being like on the track and the people in charge of the stunt said, okay, you guys aren't really supposed to be here, but just sort of like stand next to this tractor trailer and, you know, if something goes wrong, be quick. (laughs) 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 And when when they said that, they they walked off, they had stuff to do. Oh, boy. And I thought... Okay, yeah, I looked at Ramsey. I was like, "All right, yeah, we're we're quick, quick. Oh, we're, sure, we're nimble enough. We yeah, can, we can we can duck a Trans Am going hundred miles an hour. Trans Am. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was weird because you know if you have if you've ever been in uh, the stunt world or in production, you've been behind the scenes when you see one of those things happen. So much work goes into doing that stuff, mm-hmm. and it can be dangerous even when. Like the Smokey and the Bandit stunts have been extensively studied, and people have done them legally and illegally. Well, okay, so this is uh, before. I, th- yeah. I feel like we need to kind of get into the interview soon, and then we'll. Come, oh yeah, yeah. We'll sorry, come, sorry, we'll, sorry. No, it's all right. We'll come back and talk later about a couple other things, but I, I really want to talk about this for just a second because the original jump over the river was mm-hmm. what was going to happen that weekend, right? That was yeah. supposed to be like the the high point of that whole weekend. And there was a jump over the river that was done during the original Smoking the Bandit movie in 1977. And, of course, that bridge is is washed out, and as it was in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. That was part of the whole thing. They were going to recreate that jump that weekend, and they had tried to get permits and everything, and I don't know if it ever went through or not, but they couldn't get the, like, the lead-up road to it ready or something. They were going to recreate the whole jump. Right, in the in the environment. Yeah, and it never quite panned out exactly. I mean, it was like a, there was a big lead up and there was even like, I think there was even a giveaway of a Trans Am car. You know, you could, you could, yes. there was a raffle, you know, you could buy a, a ticket or whatever it was and, and, you know, win the raffle. Ramsey and I were pretty excited about that for a, a short time, I know, because that was my first car. It was a, a Trans Am. Yeah, I remember, man. 1978 Trans Am. Yeah. I could see it. Looked a lot like the Bandit's car. Yeah, it was really cool. Now, I, but I, I, yeah. I would love to have won that car in a way. I also would have hated to have won that car in a way because it would be, you know, bringing up bad memories, but um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. But they they did the they, they had to they, do the jump on the track. Yeah, they did, and it just didn't work out. And I don't know if they've ever redone it. I know I've seen groups that have gone back to that location, you know, with the type of car that they you know they had and the banners and all that, and you know, mm-hmm. kind of celebrating the anniversaries or whatever. But they've never really recreated that jump at the exact same spot before. Yeah, um, maybe they're waiting the, for the right driver. Maybe it's you, man. Maybe. If you've, I'd won that raffle, maybe got, I would have jumped. I mean, what the heck? It's a, it's a free car, right? Yeah, you've like, got Trans Am experience, no, I'll too. Jump over, I'll jump over a river. Who cares? Yeah, that's what I say yeah, about you all the it's time. Just water. Water's not dangerous. No. Come on. I, I'm around water all the time. i got water in front of me right You're now like on a glass. You're 73% water. Yeah. <laughs> Already. No, okay, here. How about I propose this? Yeah. Uh, we're getting a little close to having this episode 
be an entire episode that's called a lead up to the interview. Yeah, it's kind of uh, spinning out of control. So, so I suggest first off, I'm bringing up the Burt Reynolds thing uh, and the Smokey and the Bandit thing because it was an amazing experience, and mm-hmm. good on Ramsey for putting that together. But also because I want to emphasize that the Atlanta Motor Speedway is a hidden gem. They have events like this all the time. So how about we go to the excellent interview that you guys have conducted, and when we come back, maybe we can talk a little bit more about some other events that the Speedway has going on. Sure, yeah, some events and maybe a little bit of uh, a little bit more of the pop culture. There we go. That's, that's uh, surrounding that whole thing. So, so let's, uh, let's jump into the interview and see what happens there. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. It's 23 seasons now that we've used the surface. That is Ed Clark. He is the president of Atlanta Motor Speedway. Scott and I sat down with Ed and Brandon Hutchinson, the track's executive vice president and general manager, ahead of the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 to discuss Atlanta Motor Speedway's gracefully aged racing surface. It was 1997. We had built not only new grandstands, but new garages, media center, really just kind of rebuilt everything that was here when our company bought the track in October of 1990. Brandon explained that throughout the 90s, the racetrack underwent a dramatic facelift that included a complete reconfiguration of the track itself, which also included a fresh coat of asphalt. We came in the day after the March 1997 race tore up half of the track as part of the reconfiguration project. So the first race was ran November 1997. I don't think anybody would have 
guessed that we would be sitting here 23 years later with the same racing surface. Bill Elliott actually tested the day after the March race. And at the end of his test that day, he stopped his car on what was then the back stretch, got out and got on a bulldozer and started knocking the fence down and plowing the wall up. And I guess at that point, we figured we were going to have to do something because the track was torn up. And now some say that the track's surface is again torn up. Only this time, not by Bill Elliott, but by time. Repaving the track would turn Atlanta Motor Speedway into a speed demon's dream. The fastest racetrack on the NASCAR circuit, where laps would average close to 200 miles per hour. So why not do it already? Three years ago, we announced that we were going to repave after that event. And our boss at the time, Bruton Smith, went down into the NASCAR garage. And I believe Kevin Harvick may have been the first driver to approach him about not paving. And once it became obvious, hey, maybe we'll consider that, word spread quickly. And by the time he emerged out of the garage area, about six drivers had stopped him and told him why we shouldn't repave. And at that point, our repaving program went by the wayside. With the exception of two road course events, the rest of the NASCAR schedule takes place on ovals of varying configurations and lengths. Some are considered short tracks, like Bristol and Martinsville. And some offer unique challenges in their design alone, like Pocono, where each of its three turns is wildly different. Since oval racing and NASCAR go hand in hand, races can often be a game of inches and thousandths of a second. Small mistakes equate to large gains in oval racing, and there aren't very many opportunities to make up time. Very rarely do we get a driver comment that they don't like the surface. Drivers like to have options, and a new surface, the fastest way around is the shortest way around, so everybody wants to dive to the bottom of the track, and it produces pretty much one-groove racing. Also, when we repaved the track here with the new design, it was lightning fast. Even brave drivers like Dale Earnhardt were very cautious because it was tough on tires. It took Goodyear a couple of years to figure out a compound that would work and not have blown tires. Drivers, even back then, just they just really didn't like it. Now, once we got about four or five years of age on the surface, then it became their favorite place to race because you would see so many different setups. Some guys would set up to run the bottom all the way around the track. Some guys would run the bottom in one turn and up against the wall in the other turn. Other guys would be all the way up against the wall the whole time. So they'd go in the corners and fan out, and you'd get two and three wide racing through the corners. The fans loved it. The drivers loved it. They'd get out of the cars and high-five and... It was just a ton of fun, and still today with the abrasive and worn surface we have, it's really tough on tires, but it lets them slip and slide around. The drivers like it because they're more in control. they really got to drive the car. You see those arms and hands flailing after about a dozen laps on new tires, but they feel like, hey, I'm the best driver, so I can have more determination on the outcome because it's up to me. It's not the car necessarily. It's the way I drive, the way I set my car up to run through a full uh, tire run. And I can tell you, as it relates to racing, typically if you take a poll of 40 different drivers, you're going to get 20 that like one way and 20 that like it the other. But I can tell you, as it relates to our racing surface, the overwhelming response is we love it. As Ed says, it puts the driver more in control of the car. I asked Eric Almarola after qualifying in 2019, what do you think? Should we change it? And it was, don't touch it. At the end of the Xfinity race, I asked Christopher Bell, what do you want us to do? Should we repave? And again, 
don't do a thing. It's so much fun to drive. It's a racy surface. Thinking about inches at 200 miles per hour, over 500 miles, on an oval racetrack, with 300-plus other cars all trying not to lose momentum, can cause a person to become just as mystical about a track's layout and nuances as fans of the Nürburgring, Spa, or Bathurst. Besides Atlanta Motor Speedway's old surface, the track's layout is rather unique in its own right. You got to understand that Atlanta Motor Speedway, you're going through the corners two thirds of the time. Their turns are half miles each, and their straightaways are a quarter mile. Back in the early days, we had a couple of different tire companies involved in the sport. So compounds were a little more on the edge, and that led to some of the failures that we saw. Goodyear's a great company, and now that they're the lone tire builder, we don't have those issues at all. But what happened was after a couple of events, they actually brought Bobby Labonte, Jeff Gordon, and Mark Martin in and ran simulated races. I mean, full tire runs. And actually, one time they went out and ran about 300 miles straight. And through that series of tests, they found a compound that really worked and handled the side bite, which had been the problem. And since then, tires haven't really been that much of an issue. But you have to build a tire to match the track surface. Our track surface, it's ugly. If you look at it, there's nothing beautiful about it. If you drive it, it's wonderful. But they build a tire that gives up some, which the drivers like, but will last a full fuel stop. And that's what you want. Uh, you know, guys tell me that they halfway out a t- set of tires rolling the car out to pit road to get ready to go on the track here. The track is so abrasive, but that's also why they love it. And it's not universal. We do a voice to the fans study after every race. And I would say the comments back now regarding the surface is close to 50-50. The 50% want us to repave because they want to see the fast speeds and and what that may bring. And the other 50% just says, absolutely don't touch it. And that 50% probably has their opinion because that's what their favorite driver's saying. The repair process becomes longer and longer every year because we continue to get more and more cracks. If you look at it, it looks like somebody that was in a wreck and had a bunch of stitches. I mean, we have repaired and patched, and we've got patches on patches. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you get a good product out of it, it doesn't matter how pretty it is. So we'll continue to evaluate each and every year after the event, and at some point we'll say, yeah, it's time. I think at that time the teams, Goodyear, NASCAR, Speedway Motorsports, our company, will all probably be in agreement. It's okay, it's it's time to do this. For now, Atlanta Motor Speedway is reveling in the fact that their racetrack is providing a worthy testing ground for competitors while cementing its place in NASCAR history. You never know when it's time to obviously I'm the one that had the idea to repave and we didn't repave. It appears now, two, three years later, that it was the thing to do to leave it as it was. This surface is going to have a life. It's probably used it up. But the good thing is we haven't had water issues after a rain that has delayed a race. or and We had rain last year and started on time. And as long as we can do that, logistically, there's no reason not to repay. But we, we're going to have to at some point, and the teams will go through the, the challenge of being back on what at that point will be the fastest track in NASCAR and how they deal with the speeds and, and all the issues that the extra speed brings. As a racetrack surface ages and changes, the track's characteristics morph into something different, 
enabling the track to become a unique character in the story. At the end of the day, we're in the entertainment business. So as Ed said, as long as the track surface holds up and provides an entertaining package for our fans, that's what it's all about. So NASCAR and Speedway Motorsports really more than ever are working in lockstep on how we entertain the fans because, again, that's the most important thing that we think about is the fans' experience. So hopefully we'll get a few more races out of it, but you never know. A couple of years ago, we were of the mindset that, all right, we're going to repave after this race. So now it's a hot topic of conversation every time this time of year rolls around. Are they going to repave? When are you going to repave? Why aren't you going to repave? Please don't repave. Mm -hmm. So it just adds to the allure of one of the most historic, iconic tracks on the NASCAR circuit. And what exactly does it take to keep Atlanta Motor Speedway in tip-top racing shape? We've got an operations team of about 12 guys, and they're on the track every day. Are they actually doing something to extend the life of the track every day? Certainly not. But we're, we're taking really close tabs on what the track surface is doing. As you know, in, in our sport, water's not a good thing. So we're always trying to do everything we can to figure out where the water's coming from, route those water channels away from, from the track itself. They're calling for rain later this week, so you can rest assured that when the rain stops, we're looking for new weepers, areas where water's come, maybe coming up through the track. But we've been very fortunate over the last couple of years because of their work and determination to really extend the life of this track that we don't really have many water issues. But the team will go out there, as we talked about, for a, about a month in the fall to seal any cracks. But absolutely throughout the week, they're out there taking a look and just seeing what might need to be done to extend the life as long as possible. The surface would not have lived this long. We started that very early on after paving. Uh, I think we always target it kind of like the first week of October because it's a dry period. The reason asphalt doesn't last at racetracks or a lot of tracks have to be repaved is moisture gets underneath the track, you get freezing, and that creates a heave, so now you've created a bump. And we just don't have those lumps and bumps that, uh, that the drivers still are amazed at how smooth their surface is. And that's because we religiously went year after year and sealed this thing up both behind the outer wall and on the track side just to make sure that moisture didn't get underneath and freeze. And we've actually had people come from other tracks, other NASCAR tracks, to look at what we've done to seal their track and ask us about what our program is because they're kind of astounded that literally that any surface can last this long, which is a great compliment to our team. It's a testament to how hard they work. And, and, and that's the same group of people. We've got additional part-timers, but that's the same group of people that take care of 850 acres. So it's not just a mile and a half track surface that they're interested in. They're interested in every nook and cranny of this place. It's a massive footprint. If you think about it in terms of major NFL stadiums, you know, right up the road, 27 miles, we've got the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You could fit three Mercedes-Benz Stadiums in our infield. We've got campgrounds. We've got lakes that people fish in throughout the year. We've got over 1.2 million square feet of asphalt parking. And as you start thinking about parking lots, it's very rare that you find something that big without obstacles in the middle of it. So... We've got the infield, of course, with two 23,000-square-foot garages. We've got a fuel station. We've got an infield care center. We operate 
Legend Cars of Georgia, which is Legends and Bandoleros manufacturer. So we're we're running another racing program out of our speedway every year with our Thursday Thunder. We'll race about 20 races a year. We've got our Friday night drags program. So we drag right down pit road. So while most of it looks like open fields throughout the day, to us, it's it's so much more. The place stays very active and it takes a lot of upkeep. If it weren't for the hard work of our operations department, we would have had to repave some time ago. We're Always closely watching the track and seeing how the weather's changing the track. We, As I said earlier, we have a bunch of different events that take place. But as it relates to the full mile and a half, our operations department every year applies a compound. And this year we went to a new compound called Tixofault. And it's basically a compound that you put into any cracks that you might have where the seams of the track may be coming apart. They put it in there bake it in. And the Tixofault is actually a flexible compound. So if it's really, really cold or if it's really, really hot, it can move as the asphalt moves and hopefully we'll see positive results out of it. Technology now makes it possible for manufacturers and esports and gaming companies to create scans of a racetrack surface that allow for very accurate simulations to be made. Each of the manufacturers will come out and they'll they'll scan the track so that they have all the information that they can sit in North Carolina and pretty much know exactly what the track looks like. And to take that a step further, even the gaming companies do the same thing. My son is 16 years old and like every other 16-year-old in the world, he's got the PlayStation. He'll call me in his room and he'll say, Dad, you're not going to believe how lifelike this is. And from marks on the track wall, to marks on the track, to the billboards, to the suites, to the trees. It's identical to to what you would see here live at the track. So it really is not only really cool to be able to sit in front of your TV at home and race on the exact racing surface that you would see here live, but it also gives us an opportunity to try to cultivate that next generation of race fan. They're sitting at home playing a game they can come out to the track and see exactly what they've been racing. And so it's pretty cool for the for the fans that choose to, to game as well. They actually come in every couple of years and do a scan that I guess the information goes to the race teams and Goodyear and people like that that they use in their simulation. You know, the teams now have seven post shakers and other tools that they use really it almost alleviates having to come to the track and test because of that. And so they update that from time to time, and it's become a primary element in the teams being able to unload off of their trucks pretty close to the setup they need when they come here to race. There's not an open testing period per se like there was 20 years ago. Now the teams get a certain amount of vouchers and they apply for tests. We had a test here. You've got rookie tests that tend to take place a month or two before your race when rookies need to be approved, whether it's to go run at Daytona or to go run at Las Vegas or to even run here at Atlanta. So you've got tests like that that go on from time to time. But as far as a open test. We used to have open tests where you'd have 30 teams out here testing. And boy, those were a lot of fun to watch. As Ed said, when Goodyear was here, just after the repave to see teams running a full fuel cycle is pretty cool. But uh, we'll have some testing just after the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 in March to take a look at that 2021 car. Next season in 2021, NASCAR's Premier Cup Series will debut its seventh generation car. 
There has even been some talk about new manufacturers jumping into NASCAR. But first and foremost, the handling of the car will be dramatically altered, thanks in large part to an independent rear suspension. Earlier, Ed mentioned NASCAR's tire supplier, Goodyear, and the impact that tire design has on the show. In an effort to make the seventh-generation car look more stock, it will feature a lower-profile tire with an 18-inch wheel, as opposed to the current 15-inch tire. The contact patch may also be wider. Teams will now have to start from scratch with their setups next season. Essentially, every track they go to will be like going to a new racetrack for the first time. We haven't had the 2021 car on our track yet, so not sure what the changes will be and how it'll affect the car's handling on our track, but they will be doing some testing right after the race to figure that out. Oval racing truly is a game of inches, and Ed has high hopes for the seventh-generation car as well. There was a period of time we had like three of the closest finishes in NASCAR history, and we have had one in a while, and uh, hopefully that'll bring back that coming off the fourth turn, two and three wide, bouncing off of each other for the win that the fans love, and the guy who wins loves it, and the other two don't like it. The team at Atlanta Motor Speedway is looking into the future. They are currently in the early phases of once again reimagining the facility. The idea is to convert some of the open space they have into a casino resort. Something we're extremely interested in, and we work on it every day. A lot of elements have to fall into place for that to come to fruition, but our company is very much interested in pursuing that, and hopefully it's something that will be an addition to what we have here. We feel like the hundreds of thousands of people who come through this place on a yearly basis would be a great core business for the resort property, and that it would also allow us to have additional events at Atlanta Motor Speedway and would be a win-win. So we're looking forward to the future of that and working every day to hopefully make sure that it happens. In the 90s, Bruton Smith, the head of Speedway Motorsports, the company that owns Atlanta Motor Speedway, had the vision to convert the track into its current quad-oval configuration that mimicked another one of the company's tracks, Charlotte Motor Speedway. I recently saw a rendering of the resort project, and to me... It appeared as if it depicted Atlanta Motor Speedway as an oval once again. So I had to ask, are there any plans to convert Atlanta Motor Speedway back to a true oval? You know, the mystique of that true oval is something that some of our fans tell us about. And, mm-hmm. and you know, but the, the vision of Bruton to change us to a quad oval is something that I don't see us taking away anytime soon. Thanks for listening and join us after the break where we'll wrap it all up. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. 
You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Well, so there you have it. Ed is promising a tight finish, a photo finish. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's no way around it. He's ordered the photo finish. Decreed. He's he's decreed the photo finish, right? So, like, it's guaranteed. I don't think there's any way that it's not going to happen. Yeah. If not, I mean, full refunds. (laughs) Okay. None of this is binding by any means. But you know what? One quick thing, Ben. I think we need to go back to this because this was just an egregious mistake on your part. Um, What? You said that the human body is set, what, 73% water? I know, I was wrong. It, it, way, way off, and I think a lot of doctors are going to write in and have a problem with this. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So what's the actual percentage of, of body that is water? Uh, it's up to 60%. However, in my defense, both the brain <laughs> and the heart, yeah. defining characteristics of a yeah. person, are around 70 All right, now, I have, I've always, my whole life, I've heard 80%. I think you were getting confused with Earth. I think he's right. I think that I've heard that the surface of the earth is 80% water. That might be where I'm getting the 80% number. Okay. But I had I had somehow like switched that around in my head that you know the the human body is 80% water. Oh, that's wrong too. So the earth is 71% water. Oh boy. Oh boy. Man, we are off today. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> any 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 landing you can walk away from, you know. Uh luckily we are yeah. <laughs> luckily uh we have done our due diligence correcting one of my terrible jokes. Uh, <laughs> but we're also learning a lot about the Atlanta Motor Speedway. Again, it's just so fascinating to me that you can live in the same place for years or decades and never see some of the astonishing stuff around you. Like, we have received letters over the years from people telling us some fantastic stories about their local tracks, you know? Yeah. And I'm always surprised that people who are, maybe they're they're car fans, but they're not specifically NASCAR fans. Yeah. Sometimes they don't know about this thing. Well, Ben, here we are. We're, We're an hour, we're less than an hour from a track that has been a NASCAR track for 57 years. Yeah. And this is my first trip to it. I mean, I, I told Ed and Brandon that it was my first trip to it when I was there in the interview. And I think that might have been a little bit of a mistake because they, they were kind of like, oh, shame on you for not ever you know coming here before. <laughs> and uh, they were super happy with Kurt because Kurt had been going there since he was a kid, of course. You know, he had to be the you know, like kiss ass that was there, you know, <laughs> telling him like, oh, I have so many memories from when I'm a child. And, you know, it's been so fantastic to be here and everything. And then I'm like, oh, I've never been here before, but it looks like a nice place. And I, I'm sure you have plenty of good races here. And they were like, oh, well. We're not going to pay much attention to this guy, but that Kurt guy, he knows what's going on. He knows what time of day it is. He knows what time it is on the street. 
That's what they said. When I contacted them for a release to, you know, use their voices on air, they said that they really thought Kurt was a top-notch guy, and they said you had made a powerful enemy. Yeah, well, that's true, and they did say, <laughs> but, but uh, however, they did say that he really does need a beard trim. Uh, yeah. That, you know, it's a little bit out of control. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit wild. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could, do, like, tone it back next time he comes into the executive offices over there because there's a certain standard that they, you know, they, they require. Yeah. When you come into some place like that. It's, it's, it's in his office. It's like an executive office, Ben. It was a, it was a, it was high class. Really. Out of respect. Uh, you would think, you, know. you would think that that would happen, but um, <laughs> he didn't. And, uh, and, and I did. Uh, you know, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> but, um, you, know, it, you know, we were talking just a little bit about like the uh, pop culture, I guess, of the yeah. whole thing. And there's a couple of movies that have, have been there. And one that, that really took me by surprise, and I, I didn't remember this. Okay, so, you know, we talked a little bit about Smoking the Bandit. And actually, Smoking the Bandit Part 2, a lot of the opening scenes were filmed at the track itself, as was the movie Stroker Ace, if you remember the film Stroker Ace from 1983. And I remember that one quite uh, I guess quite clearly from cable days of way back then. You know? Oh, okay. Uh, but one that I'll tell you that I remember very, very clearly watching many, many times on early day cable, like when he first got cable in my house, there was a movie called Six Pack, and it had, it had Kenny Rogers in it. And it was about him and a bunch of kids that would travel around in this RV and race. Uh, he was a race driver. And I don't remember a whole lot about the plot now, but I must have seen the movie a dozen times. It's just been, you know... 35 years since I've seen it. That's the problem. But it was always on cable back in, you know, the early 1980s, and I remember watching that one. Also, another thing that I find kind of fascinating is that former U.S. President Jimmy Carter was a ticket taker at this very track, which kind of makes sense. I mean, it's a it's southern Georgia, right? That's where he's from. At the time, of course, he wasn't, you know, known as former U.S. president. He was, you know, just someone kind of coming up through the ranks at that point. But he's just Jimmy. Yeah, just Jimmy. <laughs> and later, you know, as he, as he was governor of, of Georgia and then later as U.S. president, he attended a couple of races there. So it's kind of a big deal. And then later, much later, in 2017, there was a heist comedy film called Logan Lucky, which I have never heard of. I've never heard of Logan uh, Lucky. No. I'll have to look that one up. But the Atlanta Motor Speedway kind of stood in for... Uh, the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and I would guess that, you know, this, you know, the way this works, it's like some kind of tax break or something to shoot down here, probably. That makes sense. I mean, you save so much money. And also, everybody who is familiar with Atlanta or the Atlanta metro area is noticing that more and more. Like, you watch, God, any Marvel film now, Mm -hmm. and if you're familiar with the city at all, you'll be able to say, hey, that's not London. Yeah, that's my house. That's, that's actually, that's <laughs> what they were doing there. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's funny. You'll see, you know, movie productions that block off entire city blocks. Uh-huh. And you'll find that it, this is one thing that I think we talked about uh, maybe a couple of years ago now, but I was coming down past the, the Fox Theater in downtown Atlanta on one of the many Peachtree streets that we have. And there was a whole section blocked off by, um, I think it's the Livingston Hotel, it's a you know big beautiful hotel with a great grand porch and everything. It's a big stone building, really impressive, right? They're doing yeah. a movie scene outside, and there's all these taxi cabs parked out front. I mean, like fifty taxi cabs parked outside, and they've all got like I think it was New York Taxi Cab Service written on the side of them. It was all you know dummy cars that were you know made up for the movies. But it's funny to see it in downtown Atlanta, you know, trying to pretend as if it's like downtown New York, and that's why there's so many cabs there, and they've got them even labeled as such which I thought was really weird, but it's it's just a strange (laughs) thing when you drive around your own city and you see stuff like that happening. But it's just kind of a a cool thing that they're able to use this track for, you know, some 
pop culture things that people can, you know, can, can kind of get behind. They can, you know, recognize. And they're building a community like the new stadium north of town. They, I think they have condos too. Yeah, this is uh, what they just changed the name of it to Truist Park, I think. Mm. Uh, but it's got, you know, again, they've got living facilities, they've got restaurants, they've got all kinds of things, nightclubs. Mm. I mean, you can go there and, you know, any time of the year, practically, even when there's not a game going on and just kind of hang out there. It's kind of a cool place. And I don't know if the Speedway is at that level yet. Yeah, it's close. It's pretty close because they have a lot of events going on there. And when when Kurt and I were there, they were talking about, you know, they have um, a drag racing event that happens on the... Uh, on Friday night. Oh, Friday nights. Okay. But in the summer, right? Yeah. It's really, it's not like uh, what you would think. It's it's not like, you know, a Christmas tree event. It's like somebody waves their hand, you know, a flag with their hand, and, and that's the drag race. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like an old school event, which yeah. is really kind of cool. And that happens on the um, the pit road, I believe. And yeah. it's, uh, I think it's just kind of, a, I, I, I don't know how it works, if you have to sign up to go or whatever, but look into it. Check out the Atlanta Motor Speedway website and you'll be able to find out more information about how to get there and actually, you know, drag your own personal car if you want if you want to do something like that. We've, we've talked about some disasters that have happened with stuff oh, like yeah. that. So be careful if you decided to do something like that. Be realistic. Yeah, be realistic. And then they have racing schools that happen there all year long. They also have a couple of like exotic car events where they allow you to drive exotics around the track and, you know, on the race, on the, the road course rather. They've got all kinds of just things happening all week long. It's not just the one you know, big NASCAR event that yeah. they have every year. It's it, there's a lot more to it. They they ho- they host the uh, NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, I believe. Yeah, that'll be the same weekend. As yeah, the, and then what's the other one? There's another support series, right? Xfinity the, series. The Xfinity series is also there. So they have three really big NASCAR focused events that happen there every year. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, they're busy all year long. It's there's never a break really. And so you know, Ed and and Brandon are, are working their Hearts out trying to keep the place going and, and the facilities people, the operations people are, are doing their best to keep the track surface intact. And, uh, and you know, we saw many people in the office there as well that are just running the day-to-day operations. Oh, sure. Doing a fantastic job of that. And uh, it's just, it's a really well-run facility and I was really impressed with it when we were there. I guess overall, we just, well, at least Kurt and I, I don't know about you, Ben, I mean, we haven't really talked about this, but we're kind of hoping that they were able to, to hang onto that surface just a couple more years. You know, just just Uh, for the nostalgia sense of the whole thing. I hope so. I mean, you guys know me. I'm a don't fix it if it isn't broken person. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of the racers like it, but but still, it's going to get to a point where it may be just simply a quality and safety issue, at which point they'll have no choice. But as they approach that point... Yeah, of course, because that's what you want in a track, especially storied when you want something unique, you know, like uh, people. Okay, I'll say it. People like the Nürburgring so much because for a long time it was weird and dangerous. Oh, it was. still is as dangerous yeah. as hell. <laughs> of course. And that's, that's, that's part of the allure of something like that, right? And, and right. the drivers are into the challenge. The fans, if they want it a little bit faster, fine, we'll repave. If they want to see, like, a, a true challenge for the drivers, you know, somebody who can really, like, win because they're a good driver, that's what Atlanta provides for them. And, right. And I think that if they can hang on to that for a couple more years, fantastic. But it's getting to the point where it's like a 50-50 thing. The, you know, 50% of the drivers, I think they said this during the interview. Maybe it was Ed, I, I believe. But he said 50% of the drivers are saying, yeah, it's time. Others are saying don't do anything to it. 
And then the fans are kind of 50-50 also because they're mirroring what the drivers are saying, rather. So, you know, like, whatever their favorite driver says, they're just going to kind of go along with that. And they're saying, like, let's do that. But we may see some faster speeds and we may see some, you know, well, you'll see improved handling, et cetera, on the new track if they do decide to pave it. And that's fine if they do. It's, you know, definitely lived its, its full life. It's had a full run of it. But if they do decide to do it, we are going to see some faster speeds. We're going to see some better handling. We're going to see, you know, a different race altogether, at least for the first couple of years. And then later it'll start to kind of, you know, be aged a little bit more and it'll have a little bit more of a, a character to it. And I think as Kurt said, you know, the, the in the interview, he was mentioning that the track itself becomes, uh, you know, a character in itself. It becomes like uh, one of the, um, you know, during a race weekend, you'll hear a lot about how, you know, tire compounds play a big story. Uh, weather plays a big story. At Atlanta, track surface plays a huge story and it does every single year and it will every year until they repave. And then, in fact, after they repave, it's going to play a, a big role you know, until everybody kind of gets used to it again and it becomes, you know, like one of these tracks that's been around three or four years and everybody knows it. And I find it really fascinating that they're making scans of this and trying to preserve it and trying to keep the historical element of this track intact for people that are playing online games and even teams that are trying to prepare for the next race or whatever. I just find that fascinating that they're able to do that and able to make an exact reproduction of the track in order to prepare for something like that, which is really, really cool. Yeah. 15 years ago, you never would have been able to do that. But now, you know, in the last 10, 15 years or so, uh, it's gotten better and better. And every year, it just seems to get, you know, uh, um, more and more precise to where teams can arrive with the car set up exactly the way they want it and be able to run with very few surprises. Again, it comes down to driver skill, of course, and, and that's a huge part of this. But I just feel like they're they're more ready now than ever when they come to Atlanta. And that's just kind of a cool thing to, to be able to say, too, is that, you know, we've come so far in just such a short amount of time. That's always one of the, the more intriguing parts of this whole thing to me is that, you know, like how far how far we've advanced. So we want to hear from you folks. What are some of your favorite tracks in these, our United States, or in your neck of the global woods if you're outside of the U.S.? Yeah, sure. And you know what? Before we go, I don't want to let this pass because we're not selling tickets or anything like that, but I want to tell you that, you know, we went there ahead of this race, and they were talking about this during the interview. It's the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500, and it's happening on Sunday, March 15th, 2020. So if you get a chance, if you're in the area, Go out and check it out. It's one of those sporting events, Ben and, and Kurt, that I feel is like it's still accessible. You know, like there's a lot of things that are just inaccessible to a lot of people because of the price. And again, I'm not selling tickets, but tickets are less than $50 if you want to get in the grandstands. And I feel that's reasonable comparatively to, you know, going to an NBA game or going to an NFL game. I know that, you know, Major League Baseball might be the only thing that's cheaper at this point. So, you know, it's it's definitely a cool thing to go to. And if you've never been to a NASCAR race, check out the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. It's again, March 15th, 2020, Atlanta Motor Speedway. And uh, if you can't make it to that one, go to one that's in the area nearby. I mean, NASCAR is a cool thing to attend. It's fun. I'm not a huge, huge NASCAR fan, but I'll tell you, I've been to a couple events they're fun. They're a lot of fun. It's not my favorite racing series, and I've been upfront about that for many, many years. Sure. But, man, when you're there in person, of course, it's like the best day ever. Just you feel it in your chest. It's just, it's, there's just like an electricity about the whole event. It's, it's so much fun. And Kurt knows all about this as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic day. Yeah. I mean, going to any sporting event is 
always fun. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way about baseball. I'd, I mean, I watch on TV every now and then, but when uh, you go to a game, totally it's just different. an experience. Oh, yeah. Totally baseball different. on TV is, I, I'll tell you, baseball on TV is awful. Going to, going to a baseball game is, again, one of the best days you can ever have in the summer. It, it's so much fun. And Ben, I don't know if you have any like similar uh, mm. things that you like to, to attend or anything like that. In I mean, person? Yeah, in person. I, I prefer to see stuff in person yeah. generally. If it's racing or if it's sporting, I, I read some statistic years back. You know, you always hear people say, well, why is American football only popular in this country why isn't it more popular yeah in in other countries and part of it i think is because of how much of a football game at least if you're watching on television is uh there's very little actual gameplay in comparison <laughs> yeah. to how many commercials oh there yeah are, sure it's know? like it's like one of those like uh it's super abrupt it's like it happens there's there's five seconds of action and then there's like a, it feels like a minute of waiting or commercials or television timeouts or things like that. that but, with, but, but I'm bringing that up because with NASCAR, there's a ton of action. Oh, yeah. Uh, from, from green flag to, to the, the checkered flag. Right. I mean, it's, it's just action nonstop, it feels like. So it is one of those events where, you know, uh, it just goes and goes and goes and it's hours and hours. And I mean, it's just really, really cool. You know, I, one thing that we probably should mention that we may we may get to in uh-huh. the near future here. And uh-huh. I, I think, I hope that all three of us can go out to this. I know. Spoilers. If that's all right. What is it? Well, yeah, it's a little bit of a spoiler maybe, but there's something that's held at the Atlanta Motor Speedway that's called Atlanta Motorama. And it's happening in late April. It happens late April every year. So this is like the last week of April. If we go to this, you know, we'll probably, you know, talk to a few people that here and there, but Kurt, uh, do you remember how they kind of described this to us? Like what they told us would be there maybe at this event? It's, I, it's know, not just I remember cars. them telling a story about monster trucks. Yeah, there's and monster they, trucks. Like they've had all all generations of Bigfoot there. Yeah, that's one thing. That's a, so. Rat so there's rods, monster trucks. There's but, but there's, all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, there's hot rods. There's uh, I'm sure there's going to be like drifter and tuner cars. There's going to yeah. be classic cars of all sorts. There's going to be all kinds of modified vehicles. You know, whatever. There's going to be all kinds of cars there. It's one of those things where there's like you know over a thousand cars in attendance. It's an enormous complex. One of those things where like the whole weekend, you may never get to see every car that's there. But the good part about this thing is that all of the owners of the vehicle are going to be just kind of camped out near their vehicle and and sitting by them. And they love to talk about their cars. And that's what we want to hear, right? So we can go and maybe kind of find some of the the odd, the quirky, the unusual, like maybe... I don't know. I mean, I'm going to make some like a, a jet powered truck or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can talk to them about you know, what the hell made you want to build a jet-powered truck? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like, or, what did they do with it besides bring it to yeah, why, why do you build motor a, shows? Yeah, why do you build a one-third scale uh, whatever, yeah. a- Escort GT or whatever it is? I don't know. Um, that's a terrible example. But, <laughs> um, yeah, like, they have just a, this huge show that happens at the Atlanta Motor Speedway at the end of April, and I feel like if we go down there and talk to a few people, uh, we'll probably be able to get a lot of material out of it and a lot of interesting stories from people that are really, really into their car and into cars in general, and uh, might be able to give us some insights. So a lot happening down there. And again, Ben, hopefully you can, uh, you know, hang out with us on the next time around when we go to uh, Motorama. No pressure, but, yeah, uh, I'd love you know, to. if you're around uh, that weekend, if you're not, you know, jetting off to, uh, I don't know, 
Australia or outer space or wherever you go. You're, <laughs> right, you're right. traveling around all over the place now. Well, um, you, if you're you, not... <laughs> guys, you guys know. Can I say this off air? Yeah. Like this, uh... Well, not off air. You're, I was oh, too yeah, late. yeah, yeah. We'll oh, say it Okay, you know what? Yeah, but just between the three of us, go ahead. <laughs> whatever. Everybody listening. Say whatever you want. All right. So you you guys know where, where I'm going like right after we record this. I have to go get in a fight at the tag office. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll have that all resolved by <laughs> April. I, but wait, I... Before this podcast, I made you a tag, uh, if you don't recall. Dude, I'm telling you, you can write tag applied for on anything, and it doesn't work. You know, it works. I've seen it. I've seen it in traffic. You can write it on the back of a pizza box, and it works, apparently, here in Georgia. This sounds like the inspiration for a future episode. Let's call it Various Myths Your Friends Told You about the police and driving. Okay, fine, fine. Maybe I should go online and print a uh, sticker or something, like yeah, something that makes it. it more official. Do I'll it. write it. How about I write a date on the bottom of that tag applied for yeah. uh, a sign that I made? And maybe make the font papyrus so it looks classy <laughs> and official. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just, just hope it doesn't rain on the way there because uh, then it's all gone. The whole thing is gone. Right, but I would very much like to join Motorama. You know, it's, okay. it's been a... Uh, Guys, don't make fun of me, but I've never got to actually hop in to a monster truck. I've mm-hmm. got to see them time and time again, but I my mission will be to get into a monster truck. Okay, well, why would I make fun of you for that? I would love to get in a monster truck myself. I've never done it. Do never think done it. They'll let us. I, I don't drive know. It? I don't know. Drive I don't know it? if they're. I don't know if they're not. really. Are they really like gonna? Um, not compete, but are they gonna like do a, a show like a you know an exhibition? I don't know. Surely, at least a little bit. Well, you would think so. I mean, you bring a monster truck to a racing track. Yeah, there's a certain expectation, Christ, right? You, you got to bring <laughs> you got to bring several cars to crush, right? I mean, really. Just hope I don't park in the wrong spot that day. <laughs> you know? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I'm cautious about where I park my car on trash day. I don't want to like keep yeah. it like too close to the curb because you never know. Just wash it, man. <laughs> Wash it so they know. It's pretty beat up now. Or put, put a, put a, uh, a paper sign in your rear view that says car wash applied for. Oh, what a great solution. All right. Well, we're problem solvers here. I mean, everybody can see that, right? So uh, maybe, maybe we should uh, move on to a couple of new problems for the next week and, and see where we end up. And come back here next week and uh, have a fresh topic for you guys. How about that? Well, uh, we'll see you guys later. And thanks for listening. Car Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile 
and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.